Chad's story reminded me of, uh, of a pastor friend of mine. I was recently visiting his church, and he has a, um, a little bit of a younger church, so he struggles quite a bit with cell phones going off. And um, so he gave this passionate talk about turning your cell phones off, and then he started a sermon, and then in the middle of a sermon, a cell phone started ringing. He was a little annoyed, so he just stopped. And it kept ringing. And it kept ringing. And then he realized it was his cell phone. <laughs> and he had to get down from the stage, walk to where his cell phone was, <laughs> and turn his own cell phone off. So, it's... Uh, it can be absolutely hilarious what, what the Lord does sometimes. What I'd like to do, firstly, is change the order of service a, a little bit. We, um, is I'd like to uh, just update you a little bit about what's going on at the Rescue Mission and Rescue Haven of Salt Lake City. And then I'll, I'll, I will uh, read our scripture passage for today. Awkwardly pause for a moment, get a drink, uh, as, you, as you just let God's word, which is the most powerful thing is God's Word and His Holy Spirit. Um, talk to you for a moment and then share my sermon. So I have the privilege, as I was uh, announced or introduced, to be the Executive Director of the Rescue Mission and Rescue Haven of Salt Lake. The Rescue Mission being the name of the men's facility, the name of the organization, and the Rescue Haven being the name of our women's facility. Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church has partnered with the Rescue Mission in a way that, that, to be honest, there is only a couple of churches who have partnered with us the way you have with, um, with helping to actively remodel and, and disciple women at the Rescue Haven and invest into the mission and um, um, just tangibly be a part of who we are and what we're doing. So I'd, I'd like to just thank you so very, very much. Recently, you have helped us uh, remodel the Rescue Haven. What, what you did was um, help us rearrange our space where we took, in, in our house manager's apartment, we took the bedroom away and remodeled that into an office, which allows our two full-time staff women who work at the Rescue Haven to have separate offices and be counseling women at the same time, which enables us to have more women on the recovery program because we can be doing one-on-one -on -one private counseling in two staff offices instead of one. Along with that, in utilizing that space a little bit differently, we've been able to expand where it's a small house. We, we, in the past, we could have 14 women at the Rescue Haven, and the way we're currently utilizing it after the remodel and knocking a hole in the wall so we have uh, another entrance into that facility, we're able to add another woman and have 15 women at the Rescue Haven instead of just 14. The Lord has, has just been blessing uh, the work there. We have been at or near capacity at the Rescue Haven for a year. We have been at or near capacity, and that would be now 15 women at the Rescue Haven. We have been at or near capacity for men on the recovery program at the Rescue Mission for over a year. And that would be, we've limited that simply because we don't have enough staff to be counseling and adequately meeting the needs. We've limited that to 40 men at a time on, at, at, at the rescue mission on the recovery program. And in addition to those, those 55 people that will be on the recovery program, that is not including 
the men, which it could be in addition to another 50 to 130 men who are coming to receive services from us every night of the year to be, to be receiving food and shelter, um, clothing, personal hygiene. We have people from all walks of life currently coming to, to the rescue mission. They may be drug addicts. They may be mentally ill. They may be alcoholics. They also may be professionals, tradesmen, people who have never been homeless before but because of the economy have lost their jobs, lost their apartment, and are living in our, home, in our emergency shelter dorm while they look for work, attain work, save money, so they can move back into society, having never experienced homelessness before. And, and you're a part of that. You know, it is a privilege of my life to be your hands and feet on the streets of Salt Lake City, because there is no way, there is no way anybody could do it without a partnership in the gospel, with, without a partnership of your help, so we can be your hands and feet on, on the streets of Salt Lake City. We've done a, a homeless count. Um, every January we do the homeless count and the rescue mission slash haven uh, partners with multiple other homeless service organizations in the state, all filling a little bit different of a niche. And we partner with them to count the homeless all on one day. So this past January, there was, um, if I'm, I may be reversing one number here, 3,372 people on the streets of, of Utah. Okay, that's statewide total. 80% of them live in Salt Lake City area, the Wasatch Front. That number of 3,372 does not include children. They don't count them. They're considering those in a different category. So that's just men, women, but not counting their children. The fastest growing segment of homelessness currently in Utah is intact families. Okay, that would be families who, that tends to be the smallest percentage. That's one of the reasons they're growing the fastest. But that's, that is the fastest growing is men who are still married with their wives and their children living in their cars or on the street is the fastest growing segment. 80% of the homeless, the people who experience homelessness later in their life, experienced it sometime during their life as a child. So we're really trying to break the cycle of homelessness through our inpatient recovery program, which, which you enable. I mean, Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church and, and our partners throughout Utah, predominantly throughout Utah, enable that all to happen. So uh, I just personally like to thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, every day of the year, you're changing lives. Every day of the year, you enable an open door for somebody to walk in so they don't have to sleep on the streets. Every day of the year, you feed people. All they have to do is walk in the door to, to feed people. Um, every, every day, you're enabling people to get clothes, personal hygiene, uh, to take care. If they desire, all they have to do is ask for the recovery program. Walk in the door and say, I'd like to join the recovery program. And we say, okay, a willing heart is all it takes. And you enable that to happen every day of, of the year. So thank you so very much for what you do. It's a privilege for me to be here. Okay, now turning to, uh, to our text. Our text for today is in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Let's read Paul's words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, 
The gospel he, God, promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his, God's son, who as to his, Christ's human nature, was a descendant of David and who through the power of the spirit of holiness was declared with power, excuse me, to be with power to be the son of God by his, Christ's resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all of the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also were among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let's just think about God's word for a moment. take a trip down memory lane. Let's go back to a time when you were eight or nine years old. What did you want to do? Who did you want to be? You remember? For some of us, it's a pretty short time. For some of us, it's, it's maybe right now. For others, it could be a little bit longer ago. But when we were eight or nine years old, what did we want to be? Who did we want to be when we grew up? For me, perhaps like like other men my age, I wanted to be an astronaut. I'd stay up all night long looking at the stars. I had books on the moon and gave presentations in school on the moon. I had models of space capsules. I had pictures on my wall about about NASA and, and... and spacecraft and wanted to go to the moon and would do weird and crazy things simply because I had a passion and an interest and a desire to be an astronaut. I did the suicidal thing when I was in high school and actually joined the Astronomy and Aeronautical Club and was counted as one of the biggest nerds in the school of being associated with that club. But the simple fact is I had a desire to be somebody, to do something, and acted upon those desires. See, those are the big picture questions we ask of ourselves in life. You know, is, is who am I? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? Now, for somebody who's in school, we may be trying to answer that question by saying, okay, what kind of car am I going to drive? Maybe we're trying to answer that question by saying, okay, do I have the coolest, latest cell phone? For some of us, you know, in school, we may have been trying to answer that question, but I am significant, I am important, because I took this person or got to go with this person to the prom. At other times in life, college perhaps, we ask the question of who do I want to be in determining our major, in stressing when we're getting ready to graduate, of what kind of job can I get, what kind of job do I want to get, does that incorporate what my major in, who am I, and what do I want to be? As we continue to go on and we face challenges and life change in our careers, perhaps it's a midlife crisis, 
perhaps it is the downturn of economy, we over and over ask ourselves the question, who am I? Is this what it's all about? Over and over again throughout our lives, whether we're a child, whether we're in the midst of the career wondering, is this what it's all about? Whether we're an empty nester or we're retired, we continue to come back to the questions of, is this life, is this what life is all about? Who am I? A friend of mine is recently struggling with this. He's been a successful businessman. Uh, as a successful businessman, he completely provided for his family, and he provided for the families of five other people for the employees that worked for him. In the downturn economy, his business dried up. He went from turning down clients because he couldn't expand fast enough to having no business and closing his doors and being out of work himself and laying his five employees off. And he faced a midlife crisis. What am I to do? Before this man, his name is Steve, actually. He is a disciple at the rescue mission. He came down and he served people at the rescue mission and met with them one-on-one. He came down and he provided chapel services at the rescue mission. It was a personal encouragement to me in coming into my office and praying with me. No matter what Steve was doing in his life as running his business as, as, as a businessman, he was involved with the gospel. And the last thing he wanted to do was stop working at the mission, stop leading Bible studies at his church, and get another job. And he struggled, what am I capable of doing? With my skill set and who am I, what can I do? And the Lord let him from being an entrepreneur businessman who has never worked for anybody in his entire life because he's always had his own business, has led him to truck driving school and taking a job as, as a long-haul truck driver. And, and right now, to, to this day, I was talking to his wife this past Thursday. Steve is on a two-week trip. Well, he will not see his wife for the next two weeks as he drives a truck and crisscrosses the United States. And as he was going through this crisis, he's feeling, and he told me personally, that God is taking everything away from me. Everything that I hold dear and valuable, my time with my wife, my activities of being in ministry and leading Bible studies at my church, activities um, at the rescue mission and discipling, he said, God is systematically taking everything away from me that I hold valuable so I can still do what God is telling me to do, which is provide for my family. And he embraced that pain, took a job as an over-the-road truck driver. We'll come back to Steve in a little while. What I'd like to do is turn our attention to Paul and utilize Scripture as our model and our example of answering these big questions in life of who am I and what am I supposed to do? Now, some of you may be saying, okay, we're going to take a look at Paul and use Paul's life as an example. And right now you may be saying, well, Paul was a fanatic. And you know what? Paul was a fanatic. He was absolutely fanatical. Paul faced phenomenally great challenges in his life. He had a midlife crisis of finding out that his religion was wrong and had to convert. After converting, he was stoned, he was whipped, 
He was thrown over city's walls. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. Over and over and over again, Paul faced challenges in his life, but he never gave up. At one point in time, Paul was preaching for so long that a a person sitting in a window fell asleep, fell out of the window, died. So what did Paul do? Walked downstairs, laid on the person, prayed for him long enough that God decided to raise him from the dead, rose him from the dead. What did Paul do? Went back upstairs and started preaching. Now, don't worry. My wife is homesick tonight. She usually sits in the front row telling me what time it is and when I need to close off. It's a good thing nobody's sitting in a window today. So we're going to look at Paul's life and see what Paul has to say as a fanatical example, but what made his fanaticism? Why was Paul who Paul was? And these are, we're just going to pull two points. There's many, many points in these six verses that we have read today. We're just going to look at two of them. Let's read this again. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel that he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, and who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you are, you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. My first point is this. Paul knows who he is. Paul understands his identity. He says it. Paul, a servant, literally doulos, a servant slave of Jesus Christ. So there's two things here, three really. Paul is a servant. He's a servant slave of Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying that he is the servant. What's not happening here is somebody going, you're my servant, I'm telling you what to do. And it's being projected upon him. Paul is saying this of himself, that I am the servant. And the servant of Jesus Christ. Servant here literally is the Greek word doulos, which carries the connotation of a servant slave. As a slave, Paul is subject to the will of somebody else. Not his will, but his master's will. Not only is he subject to the will of his master, but everything he has... Everything he does is dependent upon the master. So his food, his clothing, his housing, everything he has is owned and controlled by his master. So Paul is a slave of his master. But he's not only a slave, he's a servant, and he is a purposeful, willing servant. Self-designated servant. Now, as a slave... Paul realizes that the master has the ability to tell Paul to do that which Paul doesn't want to do. As a willing slave, 
Paul is saying, I am willingly placing myself under your authority with the realize that everything I am, everything I have, everything I do is dependent upon you, is now for you, and I am willingly putting myself into your service even if you tell me to do that which I don't want to do. And when Paul says that he, as a self-designation, is a servant slave of Jesus Christ, that's what he's saying. Now, focusing a little bit more on this mixed bag of meaning here, Paul is not just a servant of anybody. He's not a servant of Caesar. He's not a servant of the high priest. Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ. And for Paul's understanding, as it's alluded to throughout these texts that we have just reading, that we have just read, is that Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ has saved Paul from a world of sin and death and redefined who he is as a child of God. And then, as a person who has been redeemed, saved from the world of sin and death, Jesus has called Paul to share the gospel so other people may become slaves of Jesus Christ. Willing slaves of Jesus Christ. So this is a mixed bag for Paul. This is a mixed bag for us. We are a slave, but we're a a willing slave. We're willingly saying... Paul is willingly saying that he will decline his own desires to be obedient to the desires of his master, whom is the one who has saved him from his sins, given him eternal life, and Paul will subjugate his will to the will of Christ, even if he doesn't want to do it. And Paul is saying, that's who I am. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying, in other words, is Paul is saying, I'm a servant. I'm a Christian. Before anything else in my life, I'm a Christian. And God defines who I am and what I do before anything else. Before Paul is a businessman, he's a Christian. Before he is a Jew, he's a Christian. Before he was a Jew, born in Tarsus, and thus a Roman citizen, Paul is a Christian. Before Paul is a great missionary planting churches and at times splitting churches, writing letters before any of that, Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ. And as a servant of Jesus Christ, he does everything else he does. And and Paul isn't meaning this simply for himself. If we take a look down in verse 6, it says, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Back up in verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. And in verse 6, it says, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. Paul's not saying this simply in and of himself. He's saying that who we are as ones whom Jesus calls to him are ones who are defined by Jesus. Therefore, students, before you're a student, you're a Christian. Whether you're in high school, 
junior high school, college, before you are anything else, what defines you is you are a Christian. If you're a business person, if you're retired, if you're an empty nester, if you're anywhere along the spectrum, our first and foremost identity is that we're a Christian. We are a child of God, a servant slave of Jesus Christ, before we are Americans. Before we are anything else. And for Paul, his firm conviction is his identity that Jesus tells us who we are, and our relationship with him thus determines everything else. And as we continue to look at Paul, we ask, as a servant slave of Jesus Christ, what are we supposed to do? Because that's what's supposed to define us firstly as who we are. For Paul, what his entire life is all about is Jesus Christ. And the gospel that set Paul free from sin and death. So for Paul, as a servant of Jesus Christ, his life was completely centered around the gospel. The gospel simply knows, as, as we know, in Greek means the good news. But is it the good news about anything? The good news about everything? I mean, in the Old Testament, an evangelon, the one who shared good news, would run ahead of the army after a battle to declare that the battle was won to the city and to the state where the army was coming from. So this good news, who Paul, what is what Paul dedicated his life to be, what is this good news? And our, our scripture is clear, is that the gospel he promised, or the gospel in verse 2, God promised beforehand through God's prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding God's Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who the spirit of holiness, of holiness was declared to be the Son of God. This is the gospel that was prevented, presented and declared and prophesied beforehand. It's nothing new. Paul is saying his life is revolving around the work of God that God has been doing since the very beginning of creation. God started redemption and the salvation process of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the garden. He was affecting it through the call of Abraham for Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. It was prophesied and promised to David, King David, that God's descendant would come from King David's throne, sit on his throne, come from his lineage. It's the gospel that the prophets continually declared throughout Scripture and said it's the gospel about the one who would be smitten by men, stripped, beaten, despised, crushed for our iniquities. It is a gospel that is not new. It's not some New Age philosophy that somebody is sitting at a university or in a coffee shop thinking up. It's not even something from Paul's day where Aristotle or Plato or some other Greek philosopher was sitting around saying, this is what we're going to do to face this new social problem. It is a gospel 
that God has promised from the very beginning of time in accomplishing what God wants to do. The gospel is the central focus of the activity of God in all of salvation history. Everything in the Old Testament brings forth to the point of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he saves sinners from their sin, the gospel. And everything since the point in time of the gospel is because of the gospel, this is what God is doing until he brings the gospel to its full completion and takes us, if you will, back to the garden. So for Paul, he has two primary motivators in his life. He's a Christian. He is a servant slave of Jesus Christ, and that will determine everything else that goes on in his life. God's priority on earth is the gospel. So no matter what Paul does, whether he is actively sharing his faith, whether he's writing letters in prison, whether he's supporting himself as a tent maker, no matter what Paul does, his life will be focused and centered around the fact that this God who saved him from the sin, his sins, is the, go- is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And he will promote that. And that will be a defining reality no matter where he goes, no matter what he does. This is what made Paul a fanatic. Is he passionately believed these things. He allowed God to define who he was and God's work to be the central focus of his work. Now, if we do that, we may just risk becoming fanatics. We just may risk having our presuppositions in life, the things going on in our life, challenge us with God's priority. Now, I'd like to come back to my friend Steve. Steve, in what I would lovingly call a midlife crisis, has been in anguish about what he's supposed to do. It's it's been one of the hardest things he's gone through. It's been one of the hardest things his wife is going through now that she stays home. And one of the things that Steve is doing, as today he's driving around in a semi-truck, is he took the gospel with him. He took his Bible with him. And the gentleman who was training him to drive a truck, he was sharing Christ with him. And after they were, towards the end of his training time, and Steve was now in the back sleeping as the other guy was driving down the road, his driving partner would turn the radio to Christian music and listen to Christian music. And when Steve walks into a truck stop, he walks in with the gospel, and he's sharing Christ and leading Bible studies across the nation in truck stops. And no matter where he's going... He's taking the gospel with him. Now, this is a very painful thing going on in Steve's life presently. If you will, he's experiencing some of what Paul experienced of being thrown over a wall or whipped or stoned or shipwrecked. Steve doesn't like the fact that he's away from his wife. He doesn't like the fact that he's away from his church. But even though he is away from his church, 
he's a Christian. And he's taking the gospel with him. The same thing that Paul is doing. And that's the challenge from Paul to us. Do we allow ourselves to be defined first and foremost by our identity in Christ? As men and women who have been saved from our sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who says, as a person who believes in me, you are my servant slave. Do we willingly say to God, I am your servant slave and will do what you want me to do even if I don't want to do it? Do we have the mindset in living our everyday life that everything God has done and is doing is about the simple fact of the gospel? That Jesus Christ lived and died and rose from the dead to save sinners. And that is what God is doing in all of the earth. Not just in Burma, which is fantastic what Pastor Phil is doing in Burma. Praise God. Not just at the rescue mission of Salt Lake and Salt Lake City. Not just right here at Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church. But I wanted to be an astronaut. One of the beautiful things about space is when you look at the earth, there are no lines. And God says, I love the earth. I so love the earth, the world, that I gave my one and only son. Do we have that mindset that we will let God define us and tell us what to do and have a life focused on the gospel? For some of us, this may be the first time you've ever thought about it. Let this be a challenge that these are two very basic things that God is saying he wants to define our lives by. For others of us, it may be a reboot of, yes, I've lived my life that way, but I've gone off a little bit. I've lost focus. Let this be a refocus and ask the question, how can I centralize my life back on my priority of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ is doing? For other of us, we may have never have thought this before. Challenge yourself. Are we willing to accept the challenge of God, what Paul has done and said, I am a servant slave? Others of you are doing it. You are servant slaves. How can you spur one another on? How can you continue to make sure that that is a primary focus, that the gospel stays the focus? Things to reflect upon, things to challenge. God is never content with leaving us where we are at. He always wants to have us take one more step closer to who Christ is. I by no means am anywhere near it. But day by day, God continually challenges and asks us to take one step closer to who Christ is. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I pray that you would give us strength from your Holy Spirit to accept the challenges that you put before us in our life. A challenge of having our core identity to be defined by who you say we are. And have your work of the gospel be the central core conviction of what our life is. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.